This is show 82 of the Cloth Diaper Podcast. Today is part one of a two-part conversation with Stephanie from Bumby Wool. Welcome back to the Cloth Hyper Podcast. My name is Bailey. I am the host of the Cloth Hyper Podcast. And for the last couple of years, we have been interviewing Cloth Hyper brands, retailers, and parents around the world to share their expertise and their knowledge and their experiences with diapering. This has shown us that the Cloth Hyper narrative can be different and that we all come into this story with our own knowledge and wisdom. And I think it's also really shown me that sometimes we're looking to the wrong thought leaders and that sometimes we're overcomplicating things. Okay, well, not sometimes, a lot of times. And I have been way guilty for that too. I was so thrilled to have the conversation to talk with Stephanie and we ended up having two phone calls for this episode. So I'm going to do this as a two-part series. I think we kind of kickstart our next episode in a really good place where we're going to do a recap on the wash routine and then kind of go into where her business is going in the future. So today's episode is really kind of going to go into her brand story, into kind of this wash routine process for her wool. And I hope that it kind of gives you some new insights into wool washing. I definitely know that after talking with Stephanie, I went back and I edited all of my wool guidelines and products. So if you want to go check out my wool guidelines, I've put that into today's episode, a link into there. I've kind of made this little download sheet for you guys that can maybe help walk through. Every wool manufacturer is going to have a different approach. And I also think it's important to recognize that wool has changed over the decades and what we know about wool and how we treat wool is constantly evolving just like the process of washing diapers so wash the wool the way that your wool manufacturer wants you to wash the wool this is how Bumby wants you to wash their wool and I think there's some really good insights in here that we can apply to the entire industry and some really great ways that we can encourage and empower other families to consider wool. I know I probably would wool diaper my babies if I did it all over again but that's probably a conversation for another day. Don't forget that the Cloth Diaper Podcast now has an optional membership platform where you can continue to support the podcast. We have different tiers and the content will be developing over the coming weeks. It is a baby project. Check it over out at clotheverpodcast.com, which really is where I have a ton of amazing resources and content and all of that jazz. We're starting to develop some networks and membership platforms, not just for parents, but for brands, for bloggers. If you're looking for a chance to connect, to have one-on-one meetings, and if you're looking for spaces to kind of grow in this collaborative nature of cloth diapering and maybe rewrite what cloth diapering looks like in the future, come connect with us. That's what we're doing. And I can't wait for all the amazing things I have planned for 2022. Anyways, into part one of a two-part conversation with Stephanie from Bumby Wool. All right, so where where does um, where does Bumby Wool start? Why you you've been in this business industry what 10, 12 years, and you started off not in wool, you started off somewhere else. Um, um, yeah, I started. Uh, so our our oldest son is turning fourteen next month. And I started a business with him. Um, so yeah, 14 years. Oh, 14 years. And wow. It's even longer than years. I recall. Yeah. 
so um, well, I mean, the evolution of it started 14 years ago. I wanted to classify for him, and it was the dawn of internet shopping. You know, like Amazon was still selling books, and Netflix was still mailing DVDs, if you can imagine. And uh, Facebook was just starting, and I couldn't find. Uh, cloth diapers where I lived and I, you know, I wasn't overly comfortable with the online shopping thing yet. I really am now. <laughs> I mean, um, if we start thinking about what the world looked like in 2005, 2008, yeah, internet shopping, yeah. I can remember making my first purchase and being like terrified. So <laughs> yeah, like how are they going to know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, um, I decided to cloth diaper. I couldn't find anything and then ended up buying some cloth diapers from a wonderful shop, Huckleberry Baby, which is still in existence in Nanaimo, super nice lady. And um, and then I thought, you know, these are really neat and I love to sew. I love to learn new things. So I decided, let me try making something for myself. And I thought, well, dang, these are pretty nice that I made. I was all proud of myself. And then, um, and then I figured, you know, if I couldn't find something and I wanted it, there must be other people that are in the same situation. So um, I'm not a very idle person. So I started the business and it was more about providing a service to people that weren't able to get something as well as, you know, I've always been really passionate about low waste and cloth they bring. And that's something interesting because you just posted something about that the other day. Um, you know, the more cloth diapers that we can get out there, the better because it reduces our landfills uh, waste. And so it's really about promoting. Kind of. Yeah. When I got interrupted, you were talking about your, the value of sustainability in your business. Is that, is the value of sustainability in your business part of why you've shifted into wool? Uh, you went from what I believe were traditional diapers into wool. How did that, how did that transition go for you? Well, I um, I was using the PUL or pull um, in the beginning and using pocket diapers or snaps. Um, I developed a really cool envelope fold thing to, um, you know, to be able to make the pocket diapers. But uh, I fell into wool and I and like you were saying, the sustainability of it, um, the PUL, even though it's better than using a disposable diaper, but it still doesn't decompose in our landfills like the wool does. So leaning towards those natural fibers and using the, the cotton and bamboo uh, paired with the wool was such a nice partnership. And it's so much better for for the environment. And they, they wash and wear so much better too. So, and the breathability for baby's bums and reducing rashes. Oh yeah, um, like so wool has so many amazing benefits that we like, it's hard to really even describe. Do my question that I have for you that I suddenly lost in saying that sentence transition into this question was, um, did you, did you wool diaper? Did you wool diaper your babies? Yes. I did. Well, I was using the PUL pockets to start off with and, and uh, my son was actually getting quite a few rashes with them. And, um, well, I shouldn't say with them. He was in them and he had rashes and there's causation and correlation, which is always such a big thing. You know, there's also the soap that you're washing with and the water and diet plays such a huge role. Realizing now um, that both of us have a dairy allergy, which manifests in skin issues. Um, so he probably would have had less skin issues with being off dairy. Um, but uh, he yeah, he had rashes. And when I transitioned into wool and using just bamboo for the diapering, he definitely got a lot better. And then our younger son also was a lot better in the wool. And he, I, I don't even think I really used 
I was still making a few of the pocket diapers with him. So, I, and I still had some, I wasn't going to throw them out either, you know, like they were. So, yeah. um, but I definitely, you know, I used the wool, um, a lot more with them, but my kids were out of diapers when I really, really started making more wool products. You know, it was, we moved to Red Deer when, uh, our son was, well, we decided when he was a month old and then um, we moved down when he was a few months old. And then I ended up just kind of closing things down just a little bit and, and was really falling into the wool. So right when he was just about kind of potty training, that's when I really started to make diaper covers and shorts and pants and everything. So we got a little bit of it, but you know, it was right at the end of it, um, which always makes me a little sad that I didn't get to use them more. But and now you make so many wool items. And did I not see in your group yesterday that your your mother stole something that you recently made? So your your wool, your wool, your uh, clothing, everybody in your life with wool now, aren't you? Well, yeah, my uh, my mom came to visit and she stole my vest that I made. I'm like, look at this cool vest that I made myself. And she's like, oh, I'm going to snag that. And then she stole <laughs> I don't even think I really, I think I wore it once. <laughs> it might not be bums. It just might be other parts of your body. So a really yeah. um, part of why I'm really, we're really interested in having this conversation and we're re-recording this is uh, something that's unique about Bumby or maybe not unique, but something that's really cool is that you've been talking about uh, the types of wool that you use and that um, we need to maybe reshift the narrative on how or what wool can withhold and withstand because you're sourcing this a wool that you're what's tell us what kind of wool are you using like I mean, there's all types of wool so what's bumby wool well, there's well there's so many different types of wool out there and wool um there are different animals that produce wool like there's llama wool and alpaca wool and all those different things and they do have different properties um we use marine or i use uh, sheep wool and specifically merino wool the merino wool is a breed of sheep um and then within the merino wool even there is different uh uh, microns, which is the gauge or the thickness of the shaft of the fiber. And the smaller the micron, the finer the wool, the softer the wool is. So you can say, oh, I have 100% merino wool. And the differences can be massive. And um, and even so when the, the, the wool comes off the sheep, there's the core fiber and then there's the finer fiber that needs to get separated as well. Well, so just because it says merino doesn't necessarily mean that it's soft. There can be other breeds of sheep that also produce a soft wool I used to, that is softer than the coarser of the merino. If that makes any <laughs> and I think when I started cloth diapering, I used to think about like the differences in wool being totally just knit based. Is that there were different knits, but since talking with you, it's not just different animals and it's not just different knits, but it's also different textiles as it is like from the animal itself right is that well once the 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 fiber is is um it's produced then it gets put into yarn and when you have the yarn you can mix it with other fibers so you can have 100 percent yarn or we use what's called a coarse fun yarn so it actually has a microfilament of lycra right up the middle and then the wool is is kind of twisted around that core filament. Um, I've tried knitting the her in, and that's a whole other thing, though. Um, <laughs> but that's what you've got. You've got this beautiful, then uh, you spun. Well, then the yarn, but it's not just so, it doesn't matter if you're using like the, the knit wool that typically in the industry is called a knit diaper cover. Our wool is still a knit, it's a knit fabric. And, and like there's are or maybe I think that they're machine knit into the shape, um, but there's still like the seam in it and everything. Right. But 
and ours is, is still a knit. It's just that the yarn, instead of it being a thick gauge of yarn, like a straw or whatnot, our yarn is like, like a thread. It's super, super small. So if you look at it, at the piece of fabric, it's still knit. If you get a microscope to it, it's still, you know. So in our, our interlock is actually a double-sided knit. So if you look at a piece of jersey or a t-shirt, it's um, it one, on one side it has it, it bumpy on one side and then we're flat on the other, just on any t-shirt. And the interlock fabric means that it's double-sided. So those two things are knit interlocking together. So it's double-sided. So both sides are the right side of it. There's no right side or wrong side of the interlock. And, but it's still knit and it's still using yarn. It's just, it's knit on a big, massive thing. And then we cut it out, cut the patterns out and then sew them together, but it's still a knit fabric. And then there's woven fabric, which is where you get like that weft in the weave you know and then you have in and out you know with the shuttle thing going across that's a weave as opposed to a knit fabric which is a different thing as well gotcha okay and so this is that for some boring information about (laughs) i think some people are going to find it very interesting and some people will be like god are we over this i know right um so you've got this knit and i can machine wash this knit and the reasoning why I can just toss this in the machine without worrying is well okay so if you have a hundred percent wool it is going to you either need to scour there wool has little um scales on it and the scales when they uh, interact with one another if there's water especially heat and water and like agitation and uh, and heat I mean those scales will mesh together like velcro and they stick together and that's what's felting it and so if you have 100%, it can easily do that. So when you, that's where you have your temperature shocking and you have your um, machine washing is, is, it's really vulnerable to that. Um, and especially if you have like the, the thick gauge knit, there's a lot of air between those fibers so that it can just really have, and like I was saying before, a dance party, they can just, their, their scales are sticking out. They're ready to Velcro together. They're just ready to have a big party. And that's when you're going to have your felting. Whereas with the interlock, the, it's way finer than the knit. And because we have that light filament in the middle, it also reduces the amount that it can felt. And I I don't know what the other producers out there are doing. I no, mean, we're, talking get, about your, we're talking I know, about your product. My nose clean and everything. So um, with I just pay attention when I'm doing. So when I'm working with the wool, I want to pre-shrink it. I don't want you to get it and then have to worry about shrinkage. It also makes the, the so I've, I really tried to hone that, that practice over the past 13 years or 12 years, I guess, I've been really using the wool. And it I try to pop the fibers so that they're, there it's just a, it's and that's where the art comes in so there's the the right amount of heat the right amount of agitation the right amount of time um the timing of when i put my dyes in and everything so the felting and dyeing process are something that i do together and it pre-shrinks the fabric it pops the fibers makes everybody happy it me- meshes them together enough that they have kind of felt it as much as they're going to felt for the most part, like if you're really hard to them, they're going to go get a little bit worse. But for the most part, it's already felted as much because I've already got those scales that they knit together, but in a, such a way that it still leaves some air in there and it leaves some movement, but the scales have already been adhered. Okay, yeah. So it's good. Means- like you've got all this. It's just like, I almost, so for beginners listening, I tend to, I was just thinking like, just 
you're doing all the work for us. Uh, and that there's different types of wool out there and that some wool really does need to be babied, but that's, that's a different type of wool. And then some uh-huh. wool is just ready to be loved like any other textile, like, right. Right. And if you think about like, can you imagine washing your dishes and not like you, you get the soap, you get the water, you're scrub, 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 and then you just put it right in your draining rack or do you rinse it? Like I am such an advocate for rinsing. Sorry. I was, uh, I think that's a great segue into talking about wash routines because one of the things we talked about, we, so Stephanie and I have, we've chatted lots now we're, we're re-recording, we're getting this down pat. Uh, we talked about last time was about this wash routine and really making sure that the soap is out of the fibers because soap, what, what is the impact of leaving soap in the fibers? Well, it's, it doesn't, in my opinion, okay, and let me preface this with that. Um, when you mix soap and water and urine, it makes ammonia and stink. And, you know, so we've all walked into our kid's bedroom in the morning and went, holy dang, you know, I hope nobody else can, can smell this because I need to fix this before anybody tells me I'm not allowed to use cloth anymore, right? Like, could it smell so bad from ammonia smell from that, that diaper buildup? And, you know, everybody talks about stripping their, their cloth diapers and making sure that they're clean and rinsing them and sunning them and doing everything that we can to keep those diapers as clean as possible, not just for the diapers, but also for the health of our kids' bums, right? And that's really normal and talking about the soaps that we're using and it's been really normalized, but whereas with the wool, it's been more normalized about reducing the felting. You know, but I've already done the felting, so it's really not a problem. And I'm finding a lot of the consumer, you know, the normal that's out there and what's been talked about a lot is is um, is leaving that soap in there is is okay. And it's and I, in my opinion, it's not. Um, we need I to mean, get that logically, soap out. it makes sense because we're more and more in the the other textile based industries we're talking about how soap really breaks down fibers and exactly. so it's it would be illogical not to apply that to wool as well like if it, if soap can right. break down cotton of course it could break down wool and maybe do you think any Which of that is around this idea that wool is magic or wool is like can withhold anything do you think like this narrative that yeah that that wool is like super strong invincible kind of material allows us to continue that narrative well and i think that it's the the soap is is doing more damage than it is good and we need to you know we want to get that lanolin into the to coat the fibers Mm -hmm. to nourish the fibers to make that waterproof coating and it also increases the antibacterial properties of are naturally part of the wool. So the wool is antibacterial and the lanolin is. There's both of them. It's not just one. And it, so it, it supplements that. But we're not trying to get soap in there. We're trying to get the lanolin in there. You know, and if you're trying to get lanolin out of something, what are you going to use to do that? Well, soap and water, right? So we should just, and then it's like, you're not going to, you know, rub soap on your kids' bellies and then just leave it there. You know, you have to rinse it off. And I'm finding like people are saying they're getting rashes sometimes with the wool. And it's like, well, you're doing the lanolin treatment. They're using some heavy scents and also not rinsing it out. So they're just putting all that fragrance and soap onto their skin, mixing it with urine, and then so scared to wash them. So then you're getting urine crystals on there. Like, so I'm just, I'm all about the rinsing. Just they rinse. That's the one thing the cloth diaper community needs to be doing more. We need to be rinsing yeah, our wool. Rinsing rinse more. until the suds are clear, which is something we've been saying about every other textile. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, so, and I, I'm, the, the wool doesn't like to be bloated with water either. 
so I mean, it repels the water at first, and then then it does hold, you know, quite a bit of moisture in its fibers just naturally, but it does want to dry itself out. So this overnight soaking in the soapy water, I think is actually quite damaging to the wool. And, you know, and it's, it's almost like you're soaking in soapy water. The lanolin just sticks on there really, really quickly. So, and if there's still lanolin in the water bath, it's because it's, you know, so I like to layer things in and really get that into the fiber. So my new lanolizing process that I've been really talking about, it's cheaper, it's faster, it's easier and less damaging to the wool, but it goes against everything that's been talked about for the past 15 years. I love that. I love, let's talk about, let's talk about the things that go <laughs> against what we've been doing. That's my love. You know, and and I, and the more I've been talking about it, I've been getting a lot of people like, well, I, I want it really sticky. Well, you can still get it sticky with the way that I'm saying to do it. And I want to have some scents in there. Well, you can still have the scents in there. And I want to make sure that it's really waterproof. Well, you can still do that too. And it, and, and I'm saying repeat a little bit. You know, when they, they like wash your hair and then you rinse it and then you repeat, you know, it doesn't necessarily take that much longer. And you know how it gets all more sudsy the second time you wash it? It's kind of the same sort of situation. And, you know, you're, you're prepping the wool, you're getting some lanolin on, and you put a little bit more, or even just going back to washing dishes. You know, if you put like three times the amount of soap in the water, you know, is going to do less work than washing your dishes twice. You know, when you do a wash in the rinse. I was trying to think, there's something, I'm trying to, there's, there's like a, it's making me think of, I don't know, maybe it's arts and crafts world or it's like the glue world or it's like where you spray it's better to do like a thin coat and then a thin coat versus like try to do a chunky coat like a yeah, like thin coat is like that. Be, yeah it's the same kind of idea so when you're talking I mean okay so we've we've kind of we've jumped from washing to landland but we're talking about yeah, washing being... all over the place like oh, no, no 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 we've kind of gotten in this transition but I thought we could like circle back and kind of re um not circle back but like just reaffirm what we've talked about which is really good you know like uh, uh summarize what we just talked about so we're talking about when we're washing our wool we don't need we don't like just wash it wash it with some agitation wash it with some water use right. small amount of get detergent and make sure it's you get all small. of that out yes and then it doesn't take too long right and if you want to hand wash cool rinse it rinse it rinse it rinse it and then if you want then you think you're done rinse it some more like just make sure you're getting it out <laughs> and then and then you know wrap it up in the towel to get the water out and then rinse it again because there's like it really holds that soap in there so and avoid and soap. avoid doing any long soaks because that the bloating of the fiber like wool doesn't the wool fiber doesn't want to be bloated right exactly and then uh yeah and then doing that quick dip like i literally one hand filmed myself analyzing of hair i mean a diaper cover in the whole video took me less than three minutes start to finish like it is super quick when she's talking about this lanolizing process she's got we're gonna we're gonna melt the lanolin we're gonna ideally add an emulsifier instead of soap right but if we you've got to use soap it's okay you're gonna rinse okay so we can talk about that a little bit the emulsifying block that i make and i think that's pretty sanded out there i mean it's it's just this it's just a a cold pressed soap oh okay yeah, no, and, and you can use baby shampoo or whatnot, but all these different things are going to have different additives in them and different chemistry to them. So the emulsifying blocks that I make are, they're not really all that nice for your skin. They're a little bit more alkaline to um, to emulsify the lanolin better. So like I make- I always wondered what emulsifying blocks body. were. It's just, I mean, you can use glycerin soap. There's melt and pour based glycerin soap. The glycerin soap doesn't work quite as well. I do like the cold press 
using fats to make like a, a regular bar of soap, you know, like the fancy, like the Lush soap or the, the bar soap or, you know, even Dove or whatever. They're all very, very similar stuff with different additives and slightly different ingredients, you know? And so I'm making bar soap as well, but I would, I super fat it. I add extra fats to it to make it more luxurious for your skin and softening and all these different things, but it doesn't emulsify the lanolin quite as well. You know, so I make it the optimal ingredient like ratios to be better to emulsify the lanolin. The other things are going to work, but that's, you know, that's why I make them the Oh, no, it's really cool. And, and really interesting because I've always wondered what an emulsifying block was. Um, I tend to shy away from recommending them only because of the expense. So like for a parent who might not be sure of wool, I'm always like, I just want you to try wool and fall in love with it first. Let's not talk about all the things that you need. Um, but they, I find, at least in my personal experience, that emulsifying blocks are like way nice for emulsifying wool. Like do a great job and that kind of explains why you've you've specially made a soap to work with to create this experience that works for the lanolin it makes it easier and i was finding that the consumer like i used to do like this break apart bar and that gave you the control i'm all about choice whereas people were like no i don't want to measure stuff i don't want to be just give me a block and i put it in the water so that's why we started making the blocks and um as well and they're so cute i like making them yeah so um, then we've so we've emulsified our lanolin we've kind of we've put it into like a bucket of some sort with water and then we quickly dunk our wool i like using glass because it's easier to clean and then um personally but and it doesn't interact with the solution as much and then you don't want too much water i very much advocate for using distilled water um we actually have magic water here that works totally fine i've never had an issue with um, making an emulsion which is why i was like why are people struggling so much this is super easy and then i realized that oh it's not always is in some water types they just it will not emulsify um especially if it's too acidic so when in doubt just use distilled um then there's less stuff in it as well um and then it's especially for new people, it just makes it, and you can get a, a liter or something at the, the pharmacy or the grocery store for like a buck. It's not. Okay. So if you're having a lot of trouble with your emulsion mixture, it might just be the water. It might not be uh-huh. other elements. So right. consider a distilled water option. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, some people are saying if they do their water too hot, then it doesn't work as well. If you have too much water, it doesn't work as well. If you have too much lanolin, it doesn't work as well. You know, there are little micro tweaks to it, but I find like, don't use too much lanolin because if you make a mistake, you're going to waste it. You know, do a teaspoon, do a block. When it emulsifies, pull out the block. You can reuse it. Use distilled water and, um, and just try it out. And then I like to make, you know, a little bit and then you can easily just make some more. I just get a little jar and I shake it and it takes 30 seconds for me to make it. It's not like this deal you know so i have i have your little bumby wool cover here and i'm thinking like you're talking about a little bit of amount of water are you saying that it might be ideal to just emulsify this in a casserole dish well i what i do is i like putting about half a cup of water to heat make my emulsion and then i add like a cup of water like it's just enough to like it's not even dipping it like it's just i and then i can really control where the diet i'm doing hand motions like maybe even like a baking sheet like not even not even the width of a baking sheet like 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 literally no water very little water yeah like very very little water like a cup and a half is your whole thing and then i just dip that wet zone in and then i just smoosh it around and then i squeeze and smoosh and squeeze and smoosh kneading some dough you know and then squeeze it literally i did it with one hand and then just put it 
put it away. And then, so when I did it, I made like a half a cup of a really heavy emulsion, right? Like my tablespoon, teaspoon of whatever of, of lanolin and then um, the block. And then I just poured like a bit of it into my bowl with some water. And then I dipped and then I put a little bit more with another one, you know, and then you re repeat, go back to the first one, did it feel sticky? I'll add a little bit more. So you never have like a massive amount of anything going on. And it gives you really good control over how much you're putting in. You know, right, should, you know, I be, should I be focusing on the inside or the outside? You always want to focus on the inside. So the, the goal, so lanolin is a um, really attractive dirt. So it can be a dirt magnet. So you want it on the inside closest to to repel first is the goal, right? So if it's on the outside, you're just going to be attracting dirt as opposed to repelling the water back to the diaper, right? So to definitely be on the so inside. What I've heard is that I can just like really hyper localize this experience. So I don't need to be worried about lanolizing the entire cover. And if I've got a container big enough to fit my entire wool, I could probably just be doing it on a plate, a saucer, because a cup and a half would fit like in a little saucer and just be kind of pushing it down into that area, just where my wet area is, my wet spot well, is. I like doing it in like a, in a bowl still, but like oh. I, use, I use like a, a, like a mixing bowl, like a small medium mixing bowl. I don't need a special so. container. I spent a lot of my wool career, like looking for the perfect size container, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. Like this is a weird I can, I can idea that I have. And you're just telling me, use my mixing bowl. <laughs> just use your mixing yes. bowl, Bailey. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, you don't want to be also something that people are talking about is lanolin. Like you don't want to be dumping your bacon fat on your, your kitchen sink, right? Because you're going to get yelled at by the plumber who's going to come and clean your pipes out from, you know, it clogging everything. Lanolin's not so good for your plumbing either. I would be more wanting to dump it down my toilet because it's a little bit better able to handle it. Um, and uh, if that, did that make sense? Yeah, like it does. And ideally, I think what we've talked about here in summary is thinking about you were you were saying like, start off small, like, so that mm. you don't get to the point where you have a lot of waste. But if you right. do have waste, try to avoid pouring it down your sink, because we don't want right. to put fatty stuff there, put it where you would put other fatty stuff, your toilet might be an option, maybe even the Garbage, yard might compost. be an option. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. if you're using a soap, even if you're using an emulsifier, the other thing I've heard you talk about is making sure that we rinse again, especially if you're right. using soap so that you don't have any of that remaining emulsifying agent in there because that's going to react with the urine. It's going to react with right. the wool. It's going to break down things. Yeah. Not good. Right. So I like to, so my whole process, I got my bottle of, of distilled water. I get a little mason jar or a glass or a mug or whatever, whatever. And then I get a little mixing bowl and, um, and then my five pieces of wool. A question I get asked all the time is, does it matter if it's wet or not? It really doesn't entirely matter um, if it's damp or not, right? And then, so you make your little emulsion thing, you get your bowl, you put like some water into the bowl and then you, actually I like to pull my emulsion into the bowl first because then it cools it a little bit. And you're only using like, a couple tablespoons, right? You could put into a, a cold glass bowl. It's going to chill it enough tempering, right? When you're making custard, you do the same sort of a thing. Then you pour your water in and then you make sure it's really well mixed. Otherwise you're going to get, you know, things all over the place. There's a tiny bit of clumping. It's not really a huge deal. We don't need to worry about it. Put your inside of the bowl in, smushy, 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 put it aside. Pour a little bit more, pour a little bit more. You know, Swedish chef it a little bit. So Stephanie and I are multitasking. She's trying to get her wool order in and she's lost us, but she's talking about smushy, smushing 
her lanolin in and then we'll do a smushy smushy rinse to make sure all of our soap is out correct and then we'll just let it dry well, well, no, 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 no. So you're going to be smushing the oh. lanolin into the fibers and then you can repeat. You can feel if it's sticky or not. And then, um, um, then you can uh, repeat if you want. You have control over what you're doing and then you want to rinse it. All of them, you can just put them in the sink and do like a cold rinse. You're getting the soap out. The lanolin is going to stay in there, especially if you're using cool water. Yeah. Okay. So you just fill up your sink. Well, not even fill up. You put a little bit of water in your sink, throw your water in there. I would do running water. Actually, you just kind of do running water and let the water flow through and get all that soap out. And then do a rinse and spin in the washer. Or you can do your towel thing. But you're trying to get that soap out and trying to get the water, water and the soap out. Right? Part two of this episode with Stephanie will come out next week. I am slowly transitioning back into a weekly podcast model as I have lots, lots of incredible content to share with you. I think though, even though we didn't get to the recap today, I really do like to keep the show to under 40 minutes if I can. Um, We learned a lot of things, right? We can think about, are we washing that soap out of our wool? That is probably the biggest takeaway that I had with our conversation with Stephanie is that we really need to be trying our best to get the soap out. And something I've been having a conversation with a lot of brands kind of in the DMs and on the side is really like soap. Soap is like our greatest enemy when it comes to the health and well-being of our textiles. Part of that uh, comes down to detergent strength over the years. Some of that comes down to mixing with urine. But really, wool is no different than our cloth diapers. We really want to be getting the soap out of it. And when you're using a wool like Humber or when you're using a wool like Bumby wool, Bumby, uh, it's already, she's already kind of gone through this process of boiling the wool, washing the wool. She throws them in commercial washers to wash them. So run them under the water. They might felt a little bit, but it's not, it's not going to be like what you think it is. It's not like a knit. This is a different type of wool. This is not a wool that is going to immediately react to different situations. Stephanie on her website, she talks about that her wool is machine wash wool, toss it in the machine. In previous conversations that I've had with Stephanie, she kind of dropped it that a couple of her customers just use Tide. Using harsher detergents like that, of course, will break down your wool over time. But you, what I really hear from Stephanie, which is a rhetoric that I truly with all my heart believe in, is you need to find a sustainable way for you to use wool. And wool doesn't need to be babied as much as we think it needs to be babied. In the next episode of the, the next episode of the Cloth Diaper Podcast, show 83 with Stephanie, part two, we are going to go over this wash routine in one more quick time. She's going to give us a full recap. Uh, she's got a few more questions, and I've asked her about the future of her business. She had some really amazing plans that day, and I cannot wait for Stephanie to take on this really awesome leadership role in the Canadian fabric cloth diapering community and I am watching her closely for all the amazing things she does. So to make sure that you don't miss out on part two, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening or go to thecloththiaperpodcast.com and join my newsletter. I do send out regular emails and Black Friday is just around the corner, but Bumby Wool is not a Black Friday brand, so don't be having your fingers crossed. Until next time. Bye.